Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album, and sometimes, like tonight, concert by concert. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Very nice. I am Joe Beauclair, and I am very happy to be joined by Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory in my very own living room, as we have just experienced, for the first time ever, Marillion in the city of Dallas, Texas. Right. Very, very spectacular. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got the extended family here as well, my, my three pooches are joining in for the discussion, even though at least one of them desperately wants to go to sleep. So, gentlemen, that was quite a show. Yes. And if I may take it upon myself to sort of throw out the first salvo, (coughs) that set list was freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah, nonstop. Uh, It was was nonstop, and it it was kind of unexpected. In terms of, you know, if you had polled me beforehand, what's Marillion going to play? I don't know that I would have put some of these songs together. All right, well, to be fair, Setlist FM was, you know, diligently tracking everything from Georgia to sure. Pennsylvania. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, we're talking about a, a, a nine-show tour. So, you know, and I don't know, did, did, did Setlist FM uh, um, deal with the cruise to the edge? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That whole set was on there, too. So was it similar to... Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, in terms of that, if you'd been paying attention, you know, you knew what sort of what they were going to play. Oh, but, absolutely. But if you would compare this to when we saw them, when was it we saw them back in Philadelphia? Was it... Late October. 16. Okay, late October 16... Then yeah, I don't know. I, I, I this was a a different set list than you're used to seeing. So I guess we should run through the set list quickly. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that it was a it was um, if as much as much as there could be, sort of a best of. Yeah, um, in in a sense, I guess that's not real. I guess that doesn't even really make sense. I should strike that from the record. Before we go through the set list, though, I would like to air one sort of grudge that I have. Okay, when did the people sitting down at a concert get all the fucking power. You know, like, I always subscribe to the idea that if you're sitting down and people stand up, then you stand up. up. Not, you don't sit there and whine like an incessant little bitch. Sit down! Sit down! Sit down! It may very well be a Dallas thing. Because... It isn't. It happens in Philadelphia. Okay. It happens at the, at the Tower Theater in Upper Darby, for crying out loud. Oh, boy. Because I had I had a, a similar experience at uh, Steely Dan show and the American Airlines Center, so big arena. You're sitting on the floor, and there was there was this couple, a few rows in front of us. They they were loving the music, and they're up dancing. And these guys, like a row behind us and a few over, were losing their minds. To the point where they're calling in ushers and everything else, they ended up moving the the noisy people, you know, just to get them out of the way. It was crazy. Yeah, I don't understand. You go to a concert and you want to sit on your ass the whole time. Yeah. Stand the fuck up. Not a big deal. All right, thank you. I just had to get that off my chest. Absolutely. All right, so so this show was at the um, 
potentially historic Granada Theater in Dallas? Mm -hmm. Ooh, I don't know. It's been around for a while. It's not not a new facility. They opened the show with um, El Dorado. Yes. Yes. Which was sublime. Then they moved on to Living in Fear. Yes. Which is unfortunately very timely. Mm Mm-hmm. Big shock with moving into season's end at that I point. I did not expect that at that point in the show. No. Brilliant. And then, as if that wasn't good enough, they, you know, he announced Kaylee, which was very cool. Yeah. yeah. Enjoyed that. Always nice to hear um, them do that. And, but then, instead of, instead of finishing Kaylee into Lavender as it normally does... Suddenly, we find ourselves in the middle of wave. Yes, that what? was that was completely unexpected for me. Totally unexpected. <coughs> it's in the set list. It is, but the transition was just and, like, and again, I, I amazing. You know, I would, I purposely didn't look at the set list because I didn't want to know all these intimate details. And again, if you had, because we. When we talked about Brave, we talked about Wave specifically. How on the on the studio album it doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense, but live it seems to translate better. And there was this whole big conversation with Tom, and then all of a sudden, you know, much like we also talked about Beyond You, which always seemed to be like sort of a, a transition piece until they plucked it out and put it by itself. Now all of a sudden, here's Wait. Because then they moved into Afraid of Sunlight. Right, that was hot. I mean, by that point, you see just <laughs> how tight they are. Yeah. And it's just like, all right, great. And then they're like, all right, cool. Everyone enjoy that? Wonderful. We're going to do the levers now. Perfect. Yes, please do. Please do. And then, as if you haven't had enough, we're going to do the great escape. Oh. Yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then I had to kind of laugh because they finished the, the first set with, with King, which I don't mind King. We've talked about that as well. But I understand that, you know, in the palaver, King is not the most widely respected of, of tracks. So they go off stage. And, of course, no one believes they're actually done. They come back for their first encore, which is an approximately 15-minute version of Invisible Man. Mm. Okay. 15 minutes? Yeah. Um, let's see how long that one was. I'm thinking it's like... 1441. Wow. wow. 
Isn't it normally like 11 or something? Something, something like that, yeah. Sure. It's, it's not 15 minutes. <coughs> then they clear the stage again. Okay. And then they come back, and Pete starts doing this weird solo thing. And then, boom, this strange engine in its entirety. Front to back, yes. fabulous. And they finished up this 2018 North American tour with Garden Party. Even the annoying people who wanted to sit the whole time stood up for that one. Yeah, 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 finally. That is... Um, So, I mean, you know, I mean, that... That's a solid set list. Absolutely. I mean, there's... Yeah. With with the exception, perhaps, of King, I don't know, and King doesn't bother me, but I don't know that there's anything on here that you're like, wow, I wish they would have done something else. Um, you know, and, and like I said, that whole, the whole Kaylee Wave, um, Afraid of Sunlight Suite was, was just, yeah, I, again, if, without looking at the set list, if you would ask me, you know, what three songs are, you know, would, would Marillion string together, I don't know that I ever would have constructed that, but it, it really worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Technically... After Wave is Mad. That's the second part of that. Right. That's not. So sorry. Well, thank you. We have we have some stickers for detail on, okay. the, on the board. <laughs> Just want to make sure. So it was a four song stretch. It was yeah. a four song stretch. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure where that, that switchover occurs. Mm. And I have not taken the time, since we are recording this f- fresh off the experience, I have not taken the time to pull my uh, one of my copies of Brave to ascertain that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no. thank you, Paul. Yeah. I, uh, you know, so a couple things that we've spent a lot of time discussing the greatness of Marbles. And since Marbles has been released, and I guess I've probably only seen and, you know, Marillion a couple times since then. This is the only time that I think they've only done one song from from Marvels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Invisible Man was incredible tonight. And that was, as I was watching them perform Invisible Man, all I could think of is how we've talked about... <laughs> how we've talked about... In, we talked about Brave how maybe it took 20 years for the collective to kind of get into the same space of Brave and and that magical show in Montreal. And it seems to me every time they do Invisible Man, they just do it better and better and better. And it seems like 
the response from the audience is better and better. Like as of over time, people are getting it more than they have before. I don't know. Well, I, you know, I think I, that's that's a very solid point, Paul, and I can I can totally see where you're going there um, with that. And that sort of leads me into something that we were discussing while we were having our late dinner, early breakfast, whatever you want to call it. I think, you know, I was I was personally curious, having lived in Texas for 25 years, um, and and the fact that Marillion's never been here, I was curious to see how the crowd was going to do. And I was a little worried at first um, that they weren't really going to be that into it. I, I thought the the initial response was almost tepid, but you know by the time they they got through, um, you know that three or four song suite, it, it was yeah. it was on, absolutely on. I th- yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, and, and and the other part about that, I want to say I. I you know, because I was using my phone to take, you know, notes on the, the set list and whatnot. So I, I want to say that the original, the 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 set, the 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 first, the the complete set, if you will, was a little over an hour. It was probably like an hour fifteen, hour twenty. It was a really fast hour and twenty minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it was yeah. just. One after the other. So, in the end, the Dallas crowd really, really, I think, acquitted themselves very well. Yeah, I think um, El Dorado, I think, is a challenging piece to open with for for any audience, Dallas yeah. or otherwise. I mean, it is not, it's not a boisterous beginning it doesn't explode into anything like you know rock and roll you know even invisible man when they would open with that you know you get that beginning with the yeah. thumping drums and and the bass comes in i mean it's it, there's a there's a movement to that <clears throat> where eldorado it, you know is a little bit more calm it kind of works its way in it has some different ups and downs at the beginning it's kind of a challenging piece to, you know, to throw at an audience as an opening number when you've never played in their city. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> especially for a, a, you know an audience that's never seen them. The um, the the venue itself was interesting. Um, where we were sitting, you know. Sightlines weren't great. I was joking with Ken after the show. I'm not even sure Ian Mosley was in the building because I don't know that I ever laid my eyes on him. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to see him back there. He was he was eclipsed, and and the stage was looked a little cramped. Not a lot of moving around. I would, and when H tried to move around, he was plagued with feedback. Yes, yes, he was. He was definitely plagued with feedback. I was worried that Pete was going to whack him in the head with his face. <laughs> <laughs> or he was just going to fall off the front of the stage when he sat down to play his keyboard. Um, Which he didn't other... play very often. No, he didn't. It's the least amount I've ever seen him on the keyboard. And it, the most I've ever seen him with a guitar. Mm. And I was wondering if Mark played a couple of H's lines here and there. I've noticed over the years, 
they've switched up parts. Yeah. Like, I remember H always playing the beginning of Great Escape by himself mm. while he sang it. Yes. And now that's not the case. Interesting. And yes, the guitar with the big fluffy strap. Yeah. I yeah. think I think those we forgot to ask him. Those I think those are Duesenberg guitars. Well, They're very sharp. I'm sure someone who's listening to the blabber will be happy to tell us. <laughs> so please, if you know what uh, what type of guitar um, H, is playing, H is playing, please let us know. <laughs> Although he he and and John Anderson seem to go to the same guitar teacher. Well, um, I don't know. I think I might disagree with you on that. I think there are you can. You can definitely hear H's guitar. And he's not he's not playing a lot, but he's being he's playing a solid, you know, dri- overdriven guitar through that beautiful Vox amp that he's got. And, you know, most of the time while Rothery is doing some sort of clean arpeggio, which I, I think it works quite nicely. So let's talk about Rothery for a second. Yeah. And, you know, as I was as I was watching the show, I was I was fascinated because I kept kind of Switching back and forth and comparing Rothery with Pete. Rothery is shredding the shit out of whatever he's playing and he looks like the most placid man in the world. Yes. He's just, oh, I'm fucking kicking ass. (laughs) This is great. I'm stabbed. This is wonderful. And Pete, He's all over the place, he and jumping around. Yeah. And but the bass lines don't come across like hyperactive. It's I, and, and I'm looking at these two, and I'm just like, this is the funniest thing I've seen. And I don't know why I've never picked up on it before, but I I couldn't not watch it tonight. Yeah, that's funny, dude. You're right. I've never thought about that. Yeah. He did. He did so much pick. Tonight. Yeah, I'm yeah. just wondering. Yeah, I think he uses the plectrum quite a bit. Quite a bit. Quite I a believe bit. he does. Yeah, which is okay. I'm in, I'm in the plectrum school. Well, when yeah, it comes we were, to bass playing. We were talking about that at lunch, was it? I don't know. Sometime today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it it was just it was funny, and I I absolutely love 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 the fact that Rothery, like I said, he he. It just looks so effortless, and he is just killing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is—he's a joy to listen to. And I was going to ask the question um, as we sat down for this: with you know, if I—I don't know how to say this without just sounding like an asshole. Assuming that. David Gilmore's solo tone becomes number one. Is Rothery the second greatest progressive guitar solo tone? Wow. I, I just love his tone. It's like butter. He does really own the greatest guitar bend in all of progressive rock. We've already established <laughs> we, that. We did establish that. Yeah.
I, I think the thing that brings it home in that same category is is much like David Gilmour. He is extremely true to the tone live. Yes. And it is, you know, it, it's 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 magical. His bends are perfect. The tone is beautiful. And it's one of my favorite things about Marillion Live is that both Rothery and Mark Kelly are very true to the tones that they recorded with. They don't just go changing it because it's 20 years later right. and they've got a new rig. They they are true to the the recording tones that, that they have. Well, and I was thinking about that with, with Mark as well. I thought... A lot of his tones tonight were just spectacular. Um, I was really, really pleased with with the way that he sounded and, and the lines and everything else. Um, I guess the one... I don't know if i call it a sad thing. Maybe the one thing that left me wanting a little bit is they didn't really do any of the, the tracks that allow you know Mark to do his, his backing vocal gig. Yeah, that he does so well. Alone again in the lap of luxury, exactly. in particular. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean that's that's obviously the shining example of that. Well, both Mark and Pete have a lot of subtle backing vocals in Fear the Album, right? And the single, you know, Living in Fear, they have some yeah. very very nice backing vocals there. It's just subtle, right? You're just not getting you know some of the more kick ass. Yeah, that you would look for. And you know, so real quick before we get off the the tones and the sounds, how about Stephen Rothery's heavy guitar tone tonight? Um, as true as he is to his tones, there was a little extra sauce going on with the distorted part. What do you say, Ken? Well, the, I mean, the room was just so. Punchy. It was partly where we were in the balcony, just the massive, crisp kick drum, and it didn't stop there. It seemed like everything was coming through with so much punch. Yeah. It, they, they kind of... They, they, there wasn't much in the way of unnecessary reverb, shall we say, in the mix. They, yeah. They, 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 they let it smack us in the face, and the best reward with that was, yes, yes, Steven's guitar solos. Right in between my eyes. It's yeah. fantastic. So we had, um, you know, thanks to the auspices of the palaver, we managed to get ourselves into the the after show, whatever you call Which it. Which didn't seem like it seemed too hard. There was a lot of people in there. There yeah. were a lot of people in there. None um, of them seemed to have podcasts either. None of them needs, well, who, who knows if they did or not. <laughs> but, I mean... You know, but well done, nonetheless. It, yeah. it, it Way was to go. it was the first time I've ever managed to do that. You know, on in I think at all without having like when I was in Delaware and I worked the show. Yeah, and you also had to do some smooth talking to get a third pass so we could all go back. I did have to do that. Um, so the the coolest thing about you know and I, I to to use a perhaps inappropriate phrase I think. Maybe I I fell in love a little bit with Stephen Rothery tonight wow. because I I'd never you know been that close to him, so I'm I'm fascinated with his sort of on stage demeanor which we've all seen before, but at the after party when he's sitting there making white Russians for literally everybody in the room, 
he was the happiest guy in that room. He was just, he was loving life. And he'd be sitting there mixing his drinks and someone would say, hey, Steve, can we get a picture? And he'd turn around and he has this electric smile. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. just, you're just like, all right, everything's okay. Steve's here. I just, I thought that was, was, it, I, I don't know that I had any reason to expect that or anything different. I, I didn't know what to expect. But yeah, I saw that and I thought of, you know, he does the Steve Rothery event. It's like, he likes this so much, he yeah. does it when he doesn't have to do it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and again, I, when he's on stage, it's not that he seems unhappy, but he didn't have that glow about him either. I, I don't know. And he is a stoic person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, he was completely relaxed at that after show thing. I mean, he yeah. was... And he was he was enjoying himself. It was I found it to be quite infectious. You have to you have to admire an artist who goes up and gives it all he can for a couple of hours and then and then the first <laughs> thing he does when the show's over is make drinks for the fans that are hanging out with him. Yeah. Like, you know, happily. Yeah. You know? And he wasn't just like, you know, sitting there like making drinks, just kinda like here you go. Here you go. He was like, "Hey, do you need a drink?" What? And and like you know, getting people drinks. It was, it was, it was. Uh... And the funny thing, I don't know why, <laughs> but like when he started talking, I like was surprised, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's right. He has an English accent because <laughs> you never hear him talk." That's right. And it just was. I don't know why I found that to be funny. But. And you got to talk to him about his rig. Well, I did, I felt like such a dick afterwards. I'm like, oh, you know what? Like all the things I could say, you fell into the rig trap to Stephen Rothery, and I'm like, dude, what kind of martial amp is that that you're using? And of course, I don't even remember what he said. I do remember that you know he said the key was it was a three channel, yes, valve amp, which is you know really delivering that, you know. Three three channels is like having a third ball hanging off there. Just Ooh. really just delivered the crunch tone. And of course, the Rollin Jazz Chorus, which has been a staple of his sound since the early days, just continues to be sweet. And and to your credit, you bought a Rollin Jazz Chorus before you even knew what really was. I did, I, and I'm sad that I don't have it. It's the new 40 watt version has spent a lot of time in my Sweetwater um, shopping cart, but I've never pulled the trigger. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So, um, yeah, like I said, the, so and and we can kind of sw- swap back and forth as you guys feel the need. So they did. They opened with El Dorado, which was you know like yeah. you guys discussed. You know, not the easiest thing for. Certainly, a novice audience to kind of get their teeth into, but you know, it's consistent though. If you go back to Invisible Man as an opener, yeah, know, and prior yeah. to that was what, what Splinter Splinter Heart. Mm-hmm. So, so it's that's the motif, right? Yeah. Start a little slow, build up. You know, so that, and then going right into Living in Fear, which, like I said, you know, and I. I you know, when we saw them in in Philly at the Keswick um, back at the end of sixteen, you know that was that was right around election time, and Hogarth had a lot of things to say, 
And I think, um, you know, given some of the things that have happened recently, Hogarth could have said a lot more. But I think he he let he let living in fear speak for him. Yeah. Which I thought, you know, it was it was very powerful given you know current events. Um, but it and we talked about this again in the regular episode on in fear about how sort of prescient that album was and it's it's a shame that it was you know true yeah but you know I, you know kudos to them i guess for not backing down and and you know playing the songs and you know the more time i spend with fear the more impressed i am with that album yeah um okay. I, it's just it, it it it's never sort of dropped off it just sort of keeps you know, going up in my estimation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that I think it was so poignant that they that they played that song. I mean, like it would be one that I would expect to hear on you know this tour. But it, it's it's just so poignant after the week that we've had here in the U.S. because that's that's um that's why it was written. Right, you know, because of the kind of week that we've had, and and you know, sadly, uh, we might have another one. So it's like the dogs. Dogs are gonna. Joe's gonna let the dogs out. So yeah. So. Man, I'm looking through here. This 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 passive aggressive routine. I'll just walk around in circles till someone. Yeah, he definitely out. looked like you know he was ready to do something. <laughs> so then, um, then they moved into season's end. Now, oh no, Thor, Thor you roll again. Our redundancy of recording devices. I love it. So season's end. Um, you know, it's 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 a very very solid track. Not necessarily if you. You know, not one you would maybe expect if you're getting one off of Season's End. Yeah. And um, they they kind of lengthened it out a little bit. They had that little bit at the end mm-hmm. um, where sort of the, you know, I guess the, the long fade-out is on the album. Yeah. I, I enjoyed, along with all of the other songs uh, that they had the video with, I really enjoyed... Um, Oh, the video for season. The video for season's end. They really capitalized on the snow. Um, y- you know, I, I think I-, I can't remember what I said about this song in the episode. I think I may have given them a little bit of slack um, for, you know, talking about global warming. And um, I don't think you really got. You know, we're beating them up about global warming until we got to radiation. Maybe that's what it was. I think I think under the sun you'd had enough at that point. Yeah, so at that point in time, you're right. I was kind of like, come on, guys. Um, I do seem to recall at one point in time they they performed Season's End and H said something to the effect of, you know, I wrote this song um, and it turned out I was completely wrong. Um, you know, because if you follow the global warming trends, you know, we've discovered that the impact of global warming is, in fact, not lots of heat and warmth and no snow, but 
crazy dramatic changes in weather that in some cases create more snow in areas that that we would normally sure. get snow, right? It's instability. So it's all this craziness. Right. I sort of liked the fact... I, I think what I really liked about the video was it really focused on the joy of snow. Children sledding and it, the magic that you, you just feel when it snows, and when, you know, particularly when you're a child. And I think it was extremely powerful um, in the sense of saying that, you know, these are things that we all appreciated in took for granted in life and and whether our children and our children's children actually do experience snow the same way whatever it did have that sort of innocence lost kind of feeling to me which I really appreciated uh, this go around I mean I, I agree with you in terms of you know the imagery I found it to be a bit much by the end I was you know because it was nothing but snow yeah, um, I would have liked you know maybe had some more varied images to I deal with. Couldn't but. figure out what was happening at the end. I couldn't really make out what they were showing us. Was it like the sledding field that they were all in, but without any snow? Is that what was I, going on? At the I end? honestly don't recall. It was like the water, maybe. Like uh, it, it seemed a little bit too dramatic at that point in time. But you know, I was like, whatever. I'll just pretend I can't see it and. But it, it was during that, that song, though, that you know, I was kind of reminded, ever since, I don't know if it was before, but certainly ever since the Marillion weekend in 07, I guess it was, that we went, the Marillion visual aesthetic, if you will, has always been, since then, tied into this, this video yeah. presentation along with the song. And they've changed some of them up. Um, yeah, like the I'll never forget the the um, some of the videos for this strange engine, which are not what they used tonight. So they'll they'll switch it up, and I believe they I don't know. I think they may have changed the Invisible Man thing. Um, not not this time, but. You know. It's from before, from when they did it before. Yeah. Most cause definitely, because they didn't have H's face up there doing it. The, they they did yeah. when we saw them at the Keswick. Yes. But that was the first time we had seen that. Right. Yes. So, yeah, they'll they'll switch that up. and you know, I, I swear at the TLA there was something. I, I, the first time, I mean, I've seen at least three or four Invisible Men's. And the first time I saw it, I thought he was doing it live into a live camera. So, and I, I think you're right. I think that's the way they used to do it, where he would be off stage, he would be in the suit with the hair slicked back, and then at some... And, but it seemed like it was a live shot. Whereas, I think what they do currently with, you know, the sort of stutter exposure and everything else right. adds that that level of creepiness to yeah. it and like the the sort of looking around before 
you yes. know, before you started singing. Yeah, yeah. Which, when we first saw it, and I, you're absolutely right, Ken, you know, there there wasn't that aspect of it. So they've sort of taken that initial thing, and they've really ratcheted it up, I think. Uh, am I wrong to say that the first time that we saw them at the TLA, he just walked out and started singing it in a suit, right? I think he may very well have done that right, as well. That's, yeah. what, that's what I remember, okay. Yeah, so they've they've evolved... Certainly they've evolved the videos to different... Which is nice, um, because there may be some other bands that we've talked about that just keep churning out the same video over and over again. Mm. I thought they tightened up videos that I'd seen previously. And I, I'm just amazed at how well choreographed the whole set is. You, you could say that they had mm. old school songs with... with with minimal light cues and no videos like yes. Garden Party seemed totally improvised and whatnot. But right, so did Kaylee. But yeah, but and some feedback. But 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 more than half of the set was choreographed yep. with brilliant light cues, and and the videos tightened up. It, it was very good. And uh, you know, it's funny that there was so much feedback H was getting when he was running around. It made me believe that they were actually using live monitors and I kind of feel like I've seen him use the ear in-ear monitors mm. and usually when you have those tight cues like that with videos and things like that you see the artist using the um, the in-ears and um, and I, I know that Ian had those big earmuff headphones on so he was definitely yeah. getting Ooh clicks him you know but excuse uh, buddy's breathing I do wonder what um, I do wonder what you know what what was going on you know there along with the other thing that made that there are there were some times like so in the great escape before the um, the outro there is the string and flute part now no one's playing that. That was definitely sampled, and and came through. So, you know, I always I'm always curious about those things. Are those just triggered? Is it triggered by Mark? Is it timed in? Is it a sample that it gets looped in? Um, in the in the backing vocals to um, "Living in Fear," you know. It, it seems like there's more going on there. Like they've got other effects. I don't know if it, they're just their vocal effects and harmonizers that are going on the voices, or if they're, you know, if there's a sample track that they're that they're utilizing, and they're always intertwining. Which I think they've done a really nice job of. Is that over the years they've intertwined like drum programmed beats yeah. that will start a song or enter a verse, and then Ian will come in with live drums and cymbals. And they interject those perfectly through the set. So I don't know if those are triggered or if those are or what. What there was one instance tonight where they had uh, the the intro was was a programmed drum that really was kind of off, and I I don't remember what that was, but it was just like wow, that sounds not so great. Huh, I must have missed that part. Okay, yeah, I must I must have been being yelled at to sit down when that happened. <laughs> so anything about the three or four song suite specifically? Well, I will say that 
there was a night where that same thing happened. It's looking like Buffalo, Buffalo, New York, had the same set that, that, that we did. Um, the, the, they played The Bell in the Sea, impromptu due to keyboard problems after season's end. Oh, no, really? Um, but but then they did Kaylee, Wave, Mad, Afraid of Sunlight, exactly like we would have heard it. And, and you can tell by the fluidity there. Right. They didn't pull that out of their ass. No. Right, right. right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't think that's sort of a natural transition. It's brilliant, though. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Buffalo I, just had slightly, a little bit of difference in the encores. They, 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 they had Easter. And I gotta say, this might be my first Marillion show without an Easter. Really? Wow. wow. Boy, that's that's a pretty good track record. That is. Can. I I would say that this version of Kaylee was my favorite that I've seen with H. Um, I think there have been times where I've... I mean, and this could just be me looking at it because it's a different singer and I have a certain expectation, but um, I, I just felt like it was it was more genuine this go-around. I felt the exact same thing. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's just you. There was... Yeah, there was... There was, you know, much like we had talked about earlier today with Trevor and some of the older Yes songs, yeah. Hogar seems to have sort of developed an affinity for some of these these older songs as well. I mean, because I felt the same thing with Garden Party. He seemed yeah. genuinely happy if, yeah. to to yeah. to finish out the, the show and the tour with that song. Yeah. 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 So that's cool. I, I you know, and I, I totally appreciate that. And I think it, it translates into perhaps a, a better rendition as well yeah yeah the the one thing um afraid of sunlight i love that song so much love it but the one thing that always leaves me wanting is um when the keyboard comes in playing the the chorus melody Mm -hmm. it's after the solo section right yeah that never live sounds as powerful as it does on the, the studio album. And I always want that. It's like, you know, my big moment in that song. Oh wow. And it's just like, you know, with all of with all of the, the praise I heap on Mark, um, for all of his sounds, but you know, especially tonight, that one little, you know, ten second segment of the song just I, I've never gotten <laughs> what I want. And it just leaves me with a little hole in my heart. And this is a guy who's winning among our, our previous Palaver keyboard conversations where, you know, oh, what about yeah. the Wakeman sounds? And I, I brought up, what about, you know, Tony Banks sounds? And Paul, you answered, well, the guy who's stuck to all his sounds, you know, through thick and thin right, is yeah. Mark Kelly. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and he really, he really does. I, and I think they were all there. Like, I think you get what is on the album. But I agree with you, Joe. Because what's the line? I'm already dead. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. You get the... Right, yeah. And then... Yeah. 
such a release on a studio album. I think it's all there, just for some reason. The dynamics are just powerful, you're right. Yeah, I don't know. The levers. I love the levers. Goodness. I actually, um, I, I, I captured a snippet of the beginning of Vapor Trails, because I just, the, you know, there again, that's, that's a, a three-line section of a song that just revs my motor. Yeah. I just love it. Yeah. Boy, I was so happy they did that, and, and I thought they did it masterfully. They really did. Um, I had to laugh at the one guy who didn't seem to realize that the song wasn't over yet. Um, before he, the, he did that a few times. Well, yeah. Um, he may have been overserved. Not certain. <laughs> but uh, you know, I was I was happy they did the entire song and played it all the way through. And, and yeah. you're right. I think they did they did it perfectly. Yeah, man. The Great Escape. You know. Uh, gosh, you know. I that's that that performance moved me, and and it's shocking because you know when you when you think about we, and we've talked about this before that song and and the whole setup to that song happens so early and it's just such a climactic moment and to just sort of like drop it in yeah you know into into part of the set it you know it seems almost you know, and out of place, and it's funny. Like even H said, he was like, "We, we you know, we sense that you're getting excited. We, you know, we better tame things down a bit." And and yet, it was still so powerful. And then, you know, the it came in. You know, "Fallen from the Moon" was just. I mean, really, it was it was moving to me. I was I was moved. We haven't touched on H's voice yet. Mm. Spot on. The fact that we Spot haven't, on. yeah, should yeah. probably be evidence that it was just so freaking great. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it, it, we had the same experience, um, you know, when we saw them in the Keswick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Granted, we weren't we weren't podcasting about it then, but we had the conversation, mm-hmm. and I think we were all sort of marveling at, you know, here he is, you know, later in his career, and his voice seems to be getting stronger. And I thought, I thought tonight may very well have been, you know, I don't have exact records but vocally probably the best performance I've ever seen from H yeah I would I would agree with that I think that The Great Escape is the only song where he noticeably changed the vocal line to take it easy on himself right and and it was it was still stellar and he you know still completely fucking destroyed the end of it it was awesome but yeah, we're talking about a guy who sings for what an hour and fifteen, hour and twenty minutes, and then says, "Okay, now let's do Invisible Man." You know? <laughs> I mean, and and he, you know, at the end when he's like doing those high falsetto screams, you know, it's just like, and he was fucking nailing it. He was he was totally in control of that. Yeah.
giant composition with Invisible Man because he gets a little bit of a break in the beginning. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that allows him to be wide open at the end. So we had, we had talked about this sort of briefly on the car ride, I think it was. Having Invisible Man in the encore slot, you know, it's equally powerful, but it does sort of change the dynamic of the song a little bit. And it was nice to see that it still it still came across sort of in the same way. Because you still get the goosebumps and everything else. And again, with with the, the video portion and, and, and H's stellar performance, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, and that song is just good. I, I, don't, I don't know there's anything else to say about it. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, just to reiterate that I think they're getting better at playing it live after, over the years. Like, it's just, if that's possible, I mean, I, I don't, it's probably not, I'm probably not worthy to make that kind of statement, but it, mm. it just seems to me like, it's they're just getting better and better at communicating that song. I and meant, to, I meant to figure out where that mandolin sound comes from in Invisible Man. I forgot to zero in, but I'm guessing the, it's the keyboard. Is it the the oh hammer dulcimer? Hammer dulcimer. I thought it was. Yeah. Okay. Those are one of the things that I wonder if are their trigger to sequence, or if Mark's doing it while he's doing everything else. But but the the uh, goodness. Um, what I was going to say was, you know, to your point about the ballsy mix, you know, the end of that sort of just has that, you know, hu- like hushed orchestra, like, you know, mm-hmm. but it was full on, you know, at the end. Yeah. Like it was everyone, you know, balls out, which was, which was terrific. Yeah. There was um, a little bit more guitar for H and I, I didn't remember him having the guitar on so much in that. Invisible Man. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't remember that, that quite either. Yeah. It, 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 it prevented him from disrobing. I remember he had that yes. stick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he plays guitar, it's, it's less of the clothing thing. That's so funny. Any specific thoughts on this strange engine? You seem to be very happy with that whole... Well, yeah, I'm a TSE kind of guy. I know. I was a TSE kind of guy when I first heard it circa 2000. So, yeah, that, that's a real, it's a real treat for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I th- like, I know th- I've said this before, the song just kind of gets to a point where, to me, it just meanders, you know. <laughs> um, and he's giving the, 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 the concert credits. Yeah, I know. Well, that's, that's kind of like what I thought. I was like, oh, this is a refreshing break from, you know, the meandering of the song. We're going we're gonna to introduce the, the, you know, not just the band, but we're going to introduce everyone who's supported the tour yeah. all, all along. Um, I, you know, again, it's one of those... Like, what should we do for the next encore, guys? Why don't we do the Strange Engine? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it was it was funny because, you know, the first time I saw it was when we went to Holland in '07. Yeah, because that was you know the the album night yes. was the Strange Engine, which we're all like, that's a strange album to play, but okay, it was like tenth or whatever anniversary right, or right. something. Yeah, I don't know. so that's why they were doing it, and you know, it was just. I remember that live performance was sort of me getting this strange. It's like, oh, there's some cool stuff here. Okay, I get it. So I just, you know, I thought it was it was 
<laughs> when when Pete was playing his his, his solo bit, you know, um, and I, I'm thinking I had only already read the set list. I'm thinking this could happen. You know, it's a long encore, but they, they they've been doing it. And Paul, I just turned to you. Know, <laughs> What's that for? Oh man! There was a boy. There was a boy. Came to this world. <laughs> Holy woman! Uh, and, and and God damn! I was so happy when it materialized. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we already said they they stretch Invisible Man out to fourteen and a half minutes or so. This strange engine is what a fifteen sixteen minute monster. Yeah. yeah, it's a monster. So you you've got you know you've got thirty minutes in two songs and two on Yeah. That's pretty pretty stout maybe that was their point like you know you like this strange engine again is one of those that over the years becomes more and more accessible to my brain and there are, you know there you know the in the meandering opening sections there are a lot of things that i really like and then it gets really rocking and then once the rocking part ends i just sit there waiting for the line about the purple smoke from the yeah. triumph motorbike oh man i like and I just was waiting for that line. And then once they said that, I just was kind of like enjoying enjoying the vibe okay. of the whole thing. Yeah. They're just so, yeah. They could have made this strange end a shorter song. You still need the, the beautiful legato solo from Steve. Yeah. You got to have that solo. Yeah. The beautiful legato solo that our friend um, Brian yes. likes so much. Yes. 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 There's a lot of pull offs on that. That. That part. I like that. It's so perfect. Um, yeah. It's just that what surrounds that, what bookends that, can probably come out. You know, and scale that down to an eight minute song. And how is how amazing is it that they can play a song off their very, very first album, however many years ago, and it's still such a fun time you know I it that song has aged incredibly well yeah Garden Party yeah I just it I find it remarkable that you know that that song really it it, it's fun Mm -hmm. it doesn't sound particularly dated I mean you know it's you don't think it sounds dated? Well, it's... I mean, it's clearly not, you know, anything that they're doing now. Um, yeah. I mean, the keyboard sound is pretty dated, <laughs> I think. I mean, it's part of its charm. Well, like, I don't yeah. disagree with you at all. I, I mean, it was... it was. I love the song, and I love that they did it. And certainly everyone in the audience knew it. Um, it was... It, it was, a, it was let's just put, a fun Let's put time. it this way. If they tried to play another song off script, yeah, I don't know that it would come across nearly as. I totally agree with that. As seamless, I totally agree with that. Um, of course, there's no other song where everyone can just stop and scream out, "I'm fucking." So I think that has a lot to do with it. That is certainly a crowd pleaser. <laughs> no doubt about that. Everyone enjoys that. And you know, we as an audience relish in in performing that yes. that part. 
So that um, that brings us to the end. Now, that as fantastic as the show was, and I thought, you know, sightlines aside, I thought the sound was very good. Yeah. The the performance was exceptional. And then we got to go to this after show thing, and it was you know it was kind of weird. We're I we didn't really know what to do. Some people were more yeah. aggressive. Yeah, we don't have a lot of game in the after yeah, show we, life. We, yeah, we really don't. And we're there really was, just a bunch of nerds that sit around and talk shit about music, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be the original tagline for the podcast, but we uh, we decided to spruce it up a little bit. And then we wound up, and, and I, I, I just have to gush about this, we wound up discussing Brave with Steve Hogarth. Yeah. Which was awesome, because he went a lot deeper in than I thought he was going to do. Talking about, you know, not only sort of the, the painful place that that story originated from, then he was talking about, you know, the, the, the trials and tribulations of performing that live in its entirety, you know, from, from not only a technical point of view of, you know, singing that, that whole thing, um, but also having to sort of mentally get himself in all these different places mm-hmm. throughout that you know, sort of the the pain that's associated with doing that, mm-hmm. and then the what I found fascinating on top of all of that was the technical aspect. Yeah. So we were talking about the you know how well the court the show is choreographed, and you can tell that Hogarth takes that very seriously. Uh, uh, H made his bed and he sleeps in it. He's, he's got his maracas and his keyboard and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And but I, I, I thought it was that. funny when he's talking about the hair clips and everything else because we've all seen that, and yeah. you know, I, you just never stop necessarily just to to think that yeah, he's got to remember to do all of that because you know sure. it's it's all part of the performance. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, he even brought up the recording experience and the. And he even talked a little bit about our friend Dave Megan. Yeah, so that was that was perfect. Yeah, you know, totally unexpected. So he's talking about, you know, because I guess Dave Megan had some sort of experiences in in this regard, yeah. and, and some sort of you know emotional scarring, I guess. And at the same, um, Dave Megan being the product of a particularly abusive Catholic school, exactly in Ireland, whatnot, and and. Uh, and you know ghosts. Yeah, and, and being a very spiritual person and believing in ghosts and everything else, and he had that whole 13th century castle mic'd up, so that you know if, and it was funny because I was waiting for the punchline to that story, as to you know when when Hogarth asked Dave Megan why are you doing this, and I was waiting for the obvious punchline of well if there's a ghost I want to catch him, but that wasn't the punchline. The punchline was. If there's a ghost, it's going to be in the record. <laughs> yeah. Which was just fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. Which explains the textures in the record. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just, oh, man. So that was, you know, when I was when I was in Delaware, that's the University of Delaware, for those of you keeping track at home, when I was a, a wee young lad, um, there was a program that we would do with students from Oxford University, and they would 
they would come over and they would stage with students from the University of Delaware an Oxford-style debate. And it was, a, you know, it was, it was one of the more popular programs that um, the student program group ran. And then the one year that I was responsible for this, I ended up at the party afterwards. And so here I was, 17, well, no, I, I guess I was in college, so I would have been 19 or 20, maybe 21 at this point. And I'm at this party, and I find myself on a balcony singing Monty Python songs with actual British kids, which at the time was a really, really cool thing to do. <laughs> you know, it was just like... Were you singing, like, I'm a Lumberjack kind of stuff? <laughs> we were singing every Monty Python song we could think of, yeah. Oh. And it, it was like, it was, it was almost like I was, I was, I was at the real club, you know? Uh, and I'm trying to think of, of what an example is, um, you know, if there's... We can't get into real clubs. But, but I mean, you know, if, if there is, if there's some... Okay, so maybe it's the difference of going to Walt Disney World versus going to Disneyland Paris. Okay. You know, it's like, okay, it's still Disney, but Disneyland Paris, it's not quite the same. Right. I felt like I was in Walt Disney World. With that, and so having, you know, and, and with, given how bad we started out with the whole after show thing, yeah, yeah, to finish it up with, with getting Steve engaged, and I felt a little bad because we were talking about some pretty heavy shit, yeah, you know, at the end of the tour, it was getting pretty serious, yeah, yeah. It, it really, and I, I was trying to sort of bring it back, but at the same time, I was just sort of wallowing in it mm. because and it, it, it's amazing that we got there. Starting with you know my pancake story, um, so yeah, so it was that well done, was, it, was uh, it was it was great. But I mean, what a, what a spectacular way to yeah. to end not only that show but sort of also to set up this because you know that was I, I wasn't expecting to get that and and it was it and, was very cool. Well, why not? Because you know we mentioned you know, uh, Montreal. And that was the perfect segue to Rave. Right. Yeah. And uh, this set, you know, falling from the moon and whatnot, being so perfectly executed. It's, yeah, a great tie-in. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was funny because I had I had actually come up with that... <coughs> that Brave Montreal 2013 question a couple days ago. And I've been mentally wrestling with myself... If given the opportunity, would I pose that question? Because I, I, to me, it seemed like a very selfish question, and my my fear was that Hogarth would be, who gives a shit? You know, really, I, I don't, you know, whatever. <laughs> and and that was, I don't know what, what sort of pried it out of me. But the response, the initial response, was great. He's like. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know that he he understood necessarily where exactly I was coming, but his response was anything in Montreal is the best. Yeah. You know. <laughs> which was yeah, okay, cool. And we kinda went from there. Mm. Yeah. So this was um this was a, a, a truly epic experience. And and having you guys here in Dallas, absolutely spectacular. You know. I can't. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> this is just the opening of the floodgates. You're going to be Prague country soon. This is 
Yeah. Dallas is. Well, you're right. He's playing <laughs> here next month. That's so. right. You're, yeah. Who knows? We'll see. Um, so maybe we'll get some some more. But uh, well, yeah. I mean, like the the lesson to be learned here for all of our listeners is that even though it may seem crazy to fly halfway across the country to see Marillion, it's always worth it. Yeah, well, I've been doing it for years, so absolutely. Uh, yeah, you have. <laughs> I, I have. You know, I've, I've lived here for 25 years, and every time I've seen Marillion, it has not been in Dallas. Right. I've, I've seen them in Philly, I've seen them in Montreal, I've seen them in Holland. Yeah. All right, so... We, uh, as always, thank you so much for listening in to Progressive Palaver. Uh, We certainly have enjoyed this specific conversation. And as always, we welcome, solicit, um, and look forward to your feedback and your input. I know, um, like I said, our friend friend Brian has been very active on on Facebook in the lead-up to this. Um, We... I think we need to send him a little um, heartfelt thanks for sort of getting us on the path of at least asking to speak with the band, which ultimately led to us getting backstage and getting to speak with the band. So that was was very cool. Um, Uh, Credit to his series, The Five Minute Podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, definitely go check out the the Five Minute Music Review. Is is that what it's called? I believe that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again... Duly noted that we could take some lessons from there. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, please reach out to the Progressive Palaver through all of the, the normal routes that are available to you. Um, that would be email, progpala at gmail.com. Twitter, progpala. Um, Facebook and Instagram, progpala, or search Progressive Palaver. And Progressive Palaver is, as always, available for subscription on both iTunes and Google Play, and we are currently hosted on SoundCloud. So we look forward to uh, the next time, and we look forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you very much. We are lucky man.